Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm Presents Book Burners, Episode 2. The sword on the wall was missing. Footsteps in the hall beside her. Sal ducked back into the staircase. The sword rang off the wall. No edge on that blade, which made it marginally less dangerous, but a four-foot-long steel bar would break her bones just fine. The sword tore a deep gouge in wallpaper and drywall and fell from Aiden's hand. Before he could recover, Sal kicked the back of his knee, hit him a few times in the face, and he fell. Todd still sat, watching her, turning pages, like Perry last night, staring at her as if from the bottom of a deep well. A heavy weight struck the front door, and the latch groaned. A man swore Liam's voice, and Aiden's body began to move, more like a marionette than a person a structure manipulated by contracting individual muscles. Todd closed the book. He blinked slowly. She reached for the cover, thought better of touching the leather with her bare hands, and tried with the sword instead. When its tip touched, an electric shock seized her. The apartment squeezed around her like a fist, and again the cold fire flared against her breastbone. She opened her eyes, she'd fallen back onto the stairs, and Aiden was crawling toward her. She kicked him back and pushed herself upright, unclenched her hand from the sword. Crashing sounds from upstairs, a cry of pain, a frustrated roar. If there's trouble, use the cross, like a mood ring, only in reverse. Damn it, none of this made sense, but connections, the cross had burned her free of the Perry thing's influence. It hurt her, and she followed that pain back to her own mind. Maybe it could protect her from the book. She undid her top shirt button. The cross lay heavy against her skin as if stuck by magnets. She pried it free, it left a red welt. Think about that later, think about all this later, just do. The closer she brought the cross to the book, the heavier it seemed. Her arms shook. What the hell were all those gym hours good for if not for this? She hooked the book's cover with the cross and swung it closed. 
Sometimes in the winter, after 20 minutes walk down long avenues against a vicious wind, she'd take shelter in a subway stop and feel her body expand without anything to fight against. She felt like that now. Silence unfurled. The closed book vibrated like a plucked string. The cross had lost its sheen, all tarnished save where her fingers touched the silver. Aiden lay still, breathing heavy. Todd collapsed, trembling to the sofa. She shook him by the shoulders, pinched him, struck him across the face, tried the cross. The tarnished bit yielded no reaction. When she touched the part that was still shiny to his cheek, she heard a hiss. His eyes snapped open, and he screamed at a higher pitch than she'd thought his voice could make. Todd, damn it, Todd, are you okay? Sally, he said, sorry. What the hell's going on? Where's Perry? What was that thing? Came this morning, got into our heads, left the dummy in his room and the book. The pages talked to us, told us what to do. It's done, I closed the book. It got inside. He touched his chest. Still there. Whispers. Where's Perry, the real Perry? Storage, he coughed. Took the other books, told us to stay here, distract people. He's... Black tendrils wormed across Todd's eyes, through sclera and iris toward the pupil. Cords of muscle stood out on his throat. Shit. She tried the cross again, but he didn't react. Covered in tarnish. She looked around, unsure. Maybe something here could help. But the house was a mess, except for the clawfoot table where the burner was no longer burning. She heard a hiss and smelled. The door burst open. She was already halfway down the hall, pulling Todd by the collar of his shirt. Dude weighed like a billion pounds. Not to mention Aiden, who was at least out too cold to fight. Her back hurt like hell and her legs were rubber, were jelly, were really fucking tired. Liam stood in the door, blinking like an idiot. Gas! She shouted and saw him wince, earpiece, linked to her mic. Help me! He ran up the hall and grabbed Aiden. They left a wet trail through pulp newspapers and fallen leaves. Sal looked back and saw Grace slip out Perry's bedroom window to the fire escape. She made it to the neighboring building before a hammer of air struck Sal in the chest and she fell. Fire painted Liam's face orange and green. Sirens wailed, too close for comfort. Grace dropped from fire escape to sidewalk. Sal stood. Aiden and Todd sprawled, unconscious, but breathing, at her feet. We'll have to get out of here, Liam said. Understatement of the millennium, candidate number one. And yet, what the hell was that? She was shouting, and she didn't care. Any of that, no single piece of anything that just happened makes sense. Unless you want to be an accessory to arson, Grace said. Can we talk about this later? Why am I an accessory to anything? I went in to help my brother and his friends. Now their house is on fire, they're, I don't even know what. Unconscious, Liam supplied. Hypnotized or something. Thought to. The sirens were close now. An old man in a bathrobe stood a short distance up the street, staring. A crowd gathered in front of a coffee shop to watch the smoke. Look, can we have this conversation somewhere else? I'm not leaving without an answer. Liam stuffed his hands in his pockets. I don't, there's no, it's fucking complicated, okay? Then uncomplicate it. 
An iron cuff closed around Sal's arm, only it wasn't a cuff at all, but Grace's hand. There was blood on the woman's face, but no open wounds Sal could see. A few cuts, which, damn it, could not be scabbing over already, could they? Grace's eyes were stars around which the world wheeled. Magic, Grace said. Magic? Magic, Grace, Liam said. She's a civilian. I mean, are you really sure we should be talking about? You want to waste time keeping her out of the loop? Waste your own. Grace hadn't turned from Sal. We deal with magic, okay? Okay, she said. Magic, Christ. We can tell you more, not here. Four. Start with that thing in my brother's room, Sal said when they stopped the van near Prospect Park. What was it? Is Perry dead? What did it do with him? Homunculus, Father Manchu said. He sat on an upended milk crate in the back of the van, working his keychain like a rosary. He's not dead, and the homunculus didn't do anything with him. Perry was driving it from a distance. Homunculus? They're not so bad once you get to know them, Liam said. He was running a property record search, half paying attention, as if this whole damn situation was normal, which made Sal even angrier. Well, no, scratch that. They stay bad. Just an understandable kind of bad. You get used to it. You do this all the time. I won't go so far as to say all the time. He swore at the monitor. Manchu offered coffee. Grace didn't drink hers. Sal glared at him over the cup, and he withdrew it. Tell me everything. Get out of here, Grace said. You've done enough. You tell me magic's real, and then you want to kick me out? You were frozen on that sidewalk. Bad place to talk. You can leave now. I would. But you didn't, Sal said. Obviously. Grace's eyes were sharp as broken glass. Sal spoke fast to cover her discomfort. Perry was not controlling that thing. Whatever spoke to me, it was not my brother. I want the truth. I didn't lie to you, Manchu said. Not as such. You said my brother was in trouble because he stole a book. He didn't mention magic or homunculuses or whatever. I said your brother was in possession of a stolen book. She blinked. Oh, this isn't easy for anyone to hear the first time. The three of us are... Manchu hesitated, searching for the right word. Monster hunters? Archivists. Okay, Sal said. Now I'm confused. The three of us are part of a society responsible for stocking and tending the Vatican's black archives. Sal frowned. I saw a Discovery Channel about that, forbidden books, heresies. That's what people know, Manchu said. Grace stood, squeezed past the priest into the van's passenger seat, pulled a dog-eared copy of Pride and Prejudice from the glove compartment, kicked her feet up on the dash, and started reading. The world's bigger than most people know, Manchu said. Imagine we live on an island in an ocean full of monsters. Most of the time we're safe from the monsters, but sometimes the tide rises. Sometimes the monsters cause big waves. Sometimes people dig channels that run out into the deep ocean, and hungry things come in. Sometimes they mean to, more often it's an accident. 
These channels take the form of artifacts, books often, anything that connects one mind to another. For the last 2,000 years, artifacts in Europe and the Americas have wound up in the Vatican's black archives. The book your brother brought to your apartment is the Liber Manus, the Book of the Hand, which we assume is the name for the monster the book contains, a charismatic world-eater type with a taste for human minds. It surfaced for the first time in the 19th century in London, shipped for America on the Titanic, and arrived in the care of a half-drowned baronet. The Libermanus was unharmed by the crash, of course. If it could be damaged by such conventional means, we'd be out of a job. Before the book could do serious damage in the States, local officials killed its bearer and locked the volume away. The book's been quiet for generations, and the warnings became department gossip. Precautions slipped. Traces of the Libermanus' existence reached the internet, and your brother found them. So Perry's, what, he's been taken over by a sea monster? Grace, in the passenger seat, turned a page loudly. He opened the book, she called back. The hand jumped into his mind. Liam clicked his mouse, swore, clicked again. Demons, Sal said. You're talking about demons. It's not clear what they are, theologically speaking, Manchu said. Some present themselves as fallen angels, but they may be lying. Some don't speak with us. Some can't. Demons, Grace said and turned a page. How did Perry even get this book? There are communities, Manchu said. Idiots, Liam added. Communities, loose associations of amateur scholars and technical experts who believe information wants to be free. Your brother and his friends belong to one. He and his friends and their friends know enough of the picture I've just outlined to believe the metaphor is literal. They're mostly harmless, but your brother found the book with real power. He stole the merchandise from the initial thieves, who then turned on one another. Fingers in an ashtray. Sal shuddered. He brought the book home. His friends kicked him out because they were afraid of reprisals from the surviving criminals. And us, Grace said. So he went to your apartment. When we followed him there, the book offered him escape. He opened it. Ordinarily, the uh, demon's control over your brother would have been limited in its first hours. We underestimated the depth of his study. He had the necessary languages, the right frame of mind, and no tools to resist possession. The hand jumped into him. He must have left the homunculus at his apartment to keep watch and to retrieve needed materials and information. He controlled it through the book in the townhouse. Was that the, what's it, the Libermanus? Did I close it? Hardly, Liam said. The book you closed back there was just a chump text. What? A poor copy, Manchu explained. The hand recorded a piece of its name there and projected its power through the name. That book will have burned up in the fire, unlike a true work, an imperfect copy has no special properties beyond its content. Find Perry, and we find the Libermanus. Which is turning out to be terrifically easy, just for the record, Liam said. Perry's cell phone's dead, no property records on file. Traffic cameras follow him from the house at nine this morning, but lose him in a tunnel. And now the demon is free.
riding your brother's mine somewhere in New York. It will cement its control, and once that's done, it will gather acolytes. Cement, Sal said. So you can still save him? If we're lucky, we can close the book without hurting him. Cut off the demon's control. And if you're not lucky? Manchu's lips pressed together. He returned the van keys to his pocket. They rang like bells. When we close the book, he might be too far gone to come back. Your brother's friends in the house, they were, let's say, wading in the surf. Perry swimming in a riptide. Now, you don't know what these things do when they get out of hand. How bad can it be? I've never seen a demon attack on the news. People disappear all the time, all over the world. Murders, accidents, shit happens. And sometimes the world swallows people, and those left behind forget. A corner of an island falls into the sea. How can you tell it was ever there? Not even bones remain. If you know how to look, you can see the cracks where land once was, lost legions, lost cities. Have you ever heard of the town of Coldbridge, New York? No, exactly. That's impossible. The whole, whole town can't just disappear. Information decays. Paper lasts, but people are good at disbelieving evidence. Those who don't know how to feel around the edges of a gap might never notice gaps at all. The mind closes to cover even the largest wound. When was the last time you thought about the place where you were born? You're saying it might eat New York? The more time we spend here, the longer the demon in your brother has to shore up his control. If you know how to find him, you could save lives, including his. If I know anything, and I tell you, you'll go in there, guns out, and hurt him. We want to close that book. We want to save these people. Go to the cops if he's so dangerous. What would you tell them? How could you explain the situation so they would intervene knowing what they faced? The chief knows us. She calls us when your people are out of their depth. We could show them evidence. By the time the fire department's done, the homunculus will be a pile of melted garbage. Magic leaves no traces for forensics. You guys can't be it. It's just the three of you in a rented van? Hey, Liam said. I like this van. This is a job for the government. The men in black, some, like, I don't know, some Library of Congress thing, the CIA. The problem, Manchu said, is older than your government. Its solutions are older, too. Liam leaned back in his chair and looked at her upside down. Besides, if you think we're low budget, imagine the team a library would field. This is what we do. These are the calls we make. Not today, Sal said. Not if I go after him myself. Before Menchu could respond, she burst from the van into the cold gray morning and ran through the hedge into the park. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, 
floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Rain soaked through her sneakers and the ankles of her jeans. She smelled ripe mulch and pulping leaves. Bare branches clawed the sky. Hands forced deep in pockets, head down. She marched through the park. Once she was out the other side, she could hail a cab south, reach Perry's storage unit before Menchu and his team, if they were telling the truth. Of course they were, or thought they were. She'd seen that garbage thing wearing her brother's face. Or had she seen it after all? She had, but the mind closes to cover even the largest wound. If she kept walking, would she forget her brother? Or was this just the usual serving of post-traumatic stress as memory chopped weird meat into chewable chunks? There had been a lot of weird in that house. Either way, she had to get to Newark fast. Detective Brooks. Liam's voice. Sal, he repeated, closer, desperate. Keep walking, she told herself. But she'd never been good at listening to herself, especially when she made sense. His arms were out, palms down, his eyes wide. He looked paler than usual. You want to tell me to trust Manchu, she said, that you guys know what you're doing. You're talking about my brother's life. I know how it feels, he said. I've been there. She had a few good sentences of tirade left, but that stopped her. I walked his road. I was a punk, 
I knew the truth was out there. I looked, and what I found, Sal, it got inside my head. He took a step toward her. She didn't retreat. Gray clouds shifted against a backdrop of gray clouds. I lost two years to a baby version of the thing that's in your brother now. One minute, it's February 2011. I'm using a three-year-old library management system exploit to get a sealed manuscript out of the vaults at Trinity. And then it's October 2013. I've missed the World Cup. And Grace and Father M wake me in a warehouse basement in Prague. There's blood all over the walls. And I have wires coming out of my arms. He pushed up the sleeve of his windbreaker and the flannel beneath. Red scars pierced his corded muscle and textured his tattoos. I don't know what I was doing for those two years. Nobody knows. But Grace and the father found me and brought me back. She reached for his forearm for the scars. He pushed his sleeve back down before she could touch him. We care. We know what we're doing. And your brother is in danger. If you know where he is, dealing with this yourself is crazy. Give us the information. We'll help him. I'll help him. But trust me, it's a bad idea to tackle this world alone. His eyes were blue and very bright. He's my brother, she said. I'll save him. You can help if you want, but he's mine. We can work with that. Let's go then. We have a drive ahead of us. Five. Newark. Liam said, without further comment, as they crossed the Gothels Bridge. Perry and his friends needed cheap storage. They'd go through a lot of equipment, buy books by the foot at estate sales on eBay. I didn't know why, Sal said, until now. Yeah, never wondered why your kid brother was laying in a lifetime supply of dead men's books. He's done weird shit since he was a kid. Before this, it was five years of collecting old gears and selling them at steampunk conventions, which was, you know, also a weird way to use his history degree. I have my life, and he has his. Or did, I guess. She counted the rounds she had left, checked that her weapon hadn't been damaged in the fight in the house. She didn't plan to fire it, but then she never went in planning to fire. If she did, she'd have to. See, Grace, we never would have found him without her help. Grace shrugged and turned a page. Menchu passed Sal a manila envelope containing another silver cross. I have one of those already. They don't work when they're tarnished. Swap it out, drop the used one in the envelope. She pulled the chain over her head. It felt much heavier than when she'd put it on. It's the cross that matters? The cross guides us in our faith, Menchu said. But the silver's the pertinent bit, Liam said. Work silver, the older the better. It soaks up magic, which is where the tarnish comes from. We're still working on the why. Stings like a, well, it stings, but that's better than letting some bastard root around in your skull. And the church has a lot of crosses lying around, turns out. Seal the envelope. The glue tasted of wood pulp and horse hooves. Any of that coffee left? It was cold and had never been any good, but at least it tasted like coffee. The new cross hurt when it touched the seared skin on her chest, but it felt lighter than the old one. Thank you for coming with us, Manchu said. Grace speaks highly of your courage. Does she? Thanks. Grace didn't look up from her book. Just don't get us all killed. 
Not my plan, Sal said. Take the next exit. A storage locker complex sprawled over asphalt acres, and still they drove past it on the first try. He's turning us away, Manchu said. At least we know he's here. Liam pulled a U-turn. Sal's cross burned. She saw with her mind's eye as much as with her physical ones, the we store it sign, remembered driving Perry here the first time before he and the boys got their beater olds. Those who don't know how to feel around the edges of a gap might never notice gaps at all. Now, left. Liam yanked the wheel and they slid down a driveway into an empty storage parking lot. Liam parked at the end of a row of vacant spaces and they hit pavement. Easier to say what wasn't different about this space than what was. The character of light hadn't changed. The colors weren't dimmer or more vibrant. There wasn't much noise of any sort save their footsteps, but she could still hear trucks roll down the highway in the middle distance. Nor was there any of that spatial oddness she remembered from the boys' house. The storage units lay in long rows, all right angles and closed garage doors. It just felt less somehow. She'd heard that cats and dogs freaked out before earthquakes and tidal waves, before sinkholes opened up to swallow houses. They knew when the ground was going wrong. Maybe people had the same sense, less keen. Maybe they only felt this way when the collapse was bigger, deeper, more fundamental. The world, Manchu said, was an island eaten by an ocean from beneath. Maybe he was wrong. It didn't feel that way. This was bigger than she felt walking away from the easy carpet cleaner van in the storage parking lot beside three people she barely knew. This was bigger than any of them, but it was damn sure bigger than Detective Sally Brooks. Something that could eat the world like this? She couldn't fight it, she couldn't arrest it. Liam, Grace, Manchu, they all seemed to have some kind of angle on magic. Call it by name. She brought them here, she could stay in the van, tell them the locker number, let them take it from here. Stay safe. Sal laughed. They looked at her, uncertain, Manchu especially. Detective Brooks, if you want to wait. Can't you feel it? She said. He shook his head. Perry, or whatever's inside him. It's strutting, putting on a front, trying to scare us off. Me, in particular. The hand is dangerous, he said. It will eat us if we give it a chance. Yeah, but now, more than anything, it wants us to leave. She bared her teeth. Third row, fifth locker on the left. Let's go. Manchu, on the approach, didn't share her optimism. Its hold on your brother lasts as long as the book's open. Close it. With the cross, I know. Don't use the cross if it's tarnished, and don't touch the book with your bare hand. I'll try first. Grace and Liam will deal with any guards. It's been awake in our world for less than a day. You think it has goons? It may have turned people, like the boys in the townhouse. There must have been others here when it arrived. She looked back at Grace and Liam. Grace's novel had vanished into a pocket. Liam pulled a fingerless glove onto his left hand and snapped it closed at his wrist. Grace rolled her eyes at the sound, at the glove, at Liam in general. Cross, Sal said. Don't touch the book. Anything else? It may tempt you as you get closer, offering bargains. Don't trust it. I figured. I mean, it's a demon. The door to Perry's storage locker was rolled down, its padlock locked. 
She glanced back for ideas. Grace struck the padlock with the cinder block and it broke. She shrugged. Liam closed the snap on his second glove. Then someone tackled him from the right. Shit! A large man lay on top of him, meaty fingers pushing toward his throat. Before Sal could react, Grace was there. She grabbed the man's wee-storied uniform polo shirt and threw him back with a twist of her hips. The uniformed puppet pushed himself upright, eyes wide and black from edge to edge, a foot taller than Grace, easy. She kicked him in the knee, struck him in the temple with an elbow, and he went down. Black tears left dark lines down his cheeks. Shit, Sal said in a different tone of voice than Liam had used. Other figures emerged from the alleys between the storage units, men and women in uniform, a family of three with a daughter in pigtails. Sal felt that she should have seen them approaching. Of course, Manchu should have seen the driveway before it was time to turn. Grace spun, trying to face all directions at once. Liam pushed himself to his feet. Manchu turned to her, still thinking scared. Sal could have answered. Instead, she opened the door. Candlelight flickered behind layers of fake Victorian furniture and chemical glassware, disused futons, and piles of books, leather bindings and paperbacks, journals and diaries and dime-store lesbian detective novels. And there, at the far end of a narrow path through junky, cast-off dreams of mystic grandeur, behind a semicircle of open books, stood Perry. Well, not stood, floated. Sal, he said, or the thing inside him said, and smiled. And his teeth were points, and there was no tongue in the pit of his mouth. An unexpected pleasure. She should have waited for Manchu. He'd done this before. But this was her brother. So she ran into the gap, which turned out to be for the best, because when a puppet jumped her from a gap in the boxes, Manchu was there to pull it. Her, she corrected herself. These things could wake up, probably off her back. Of course, the puppet then grabbed a chair and struck him in the head, but he seemed more staggered than hurt. Sal marched toward the thing that wore her brother. I bet, she said. That's why you tried to keep me away. Perry, if you're still in there, I'm trying to help you. That smile didn't waver. The book's pages turned of their own accord. He raised one hand and a shadowy headwind blasted her. The soles of her shoes left black streaks on the concrete floor. What did they tell you, Sal? That this wasn't me? Is that the lie they spun? My brother wouldn't do this. Are you sure? If your brother had the power we have now. We, she said. Oh, fine, spoil my fun. How can you tell the difference anyway? My brother has a tongue. I can make a tongue if you'd rather. Fire licked his teeth. This is your brother's body, and I have his brain right here. Who's to say I'm not him, just with the power he always wanted? I can rifle through his memories, every dirty thought, desire, each terror and suppressed impulse, delicious and nutritious. Would you like to know how many times he wanted to kill you? How many times he hated you? He turned ten pages of the leftmost book forward then flipped three pages back, an unpracticed chef working an unfamiliar recipe. She forced herself toward him, step 
by step. The cross froze and tore her skin. Burn victims flashed through her memory, charcoaled edges of flesh and white bones showing. He didn't do any of that. Those thoughts don't matter. But they do. You feared an unjust world, and so you became a cop. That's what he thinks. He feared being powerless, so he sought power, which led him to me. That's your lovely little weakness, you humans. You're so blissfully susceptible to destiny. The shadow wind reached gale force. Somewhere behind her, Grace and Liam and Father Manchu fought for their lives, for her, for Perry. What do you want with this? What does anyone want, Perry said. A future. Futures taste grand. And you people have built so many of them for yourselves, like ice cream flavors. A hundred years back, you expected more of the same forever, until maybe some god scooped his favorites off to play in a cut-rate heaven. Bland, tasteless. But now, starscapes and apocalypses, gray goo and futuristic despotism, oil crises and pandemic collapses, floods and robots and monsters, oh my. Fresh universes of fear. Your brother's spinning them by the billions inside me. You could join him, suffer through a few million hells for me, and I'll give you a paradise none can match. Perry, she said, so close now. But with every step, the wind grew twice as strong. And she heard whispers, too. Whispers that were colors. Voices like claws in her belly. The cross wormed into her. The cross pierced her. The cross wriggled into her heart. Perry, wake up. This thing needs you afraid. Listen to me, it's your sister, it's Sal. I'm outside your fucking door and I need you and you better open up right now or so help me God. Perry's eyes opened. The real ones, the brown that matched her own. John Cusack version 1.7. Real tears ran down his cheeks. Then he crumpled, clutching his face. The voice that wasn't his screamed words she couldn't hear. The shadow wind stopped. She knelt before the books, before the book, the Leaper Manus. Seconds, maybe, no more. She pulled the cross from around her neck. She'd lifted bodies that weighed less. Her arms trembled. The cross was black. A smooth tarnish covered every surface, even the chain. She scraped it frantically with her fingernail, but couldn't mar the mat. Fuck. No silver around, nothing like silver. Battered paperbacks, that was all. And Perry was recovering. No, she recognized that body language, the straighter shoulders, the deeper breathing. That was the hand reasserting control. Behind her, Menchu fell. It took the hand time to learn her brother. If it jumped into her, Manchu and Grace and Liam and, hell, Perry would have a few critical seconds to close the book. And if it jumped into her, it would let Perry go. Perry wanted to kill her, the hand said. Well, fine, she'd wanted to kill him too. What else were siblings for? The hand in Perry straightened and smiled its sharp-toothed smile with the tongue of flame behind. She tackled the lever man and slammed it shut and flung it from her like a poisonous snake she'd caught by the neck. The sinkhole feeling, the brink of catastrophe, the incipient collapse, stopped. 
the world blinked. Sal was still Sal. She was so shocked she almost didn't notice when Perry began to fall. She caught him before he hit the floor. Perry, come on, Perry, wake up. No answer. He breathed deep and his teeth were back to normal and there was a tongue in his mouth again. But his eyes were closed. She slapped him. No answer. Shook him. Perry. Nothing. Manchu set his hand on her shoulder. He looked blurred. She blinked and he grew edges. It's okay, she said. We won. Six. Emotions take up space, which is why all priests from bare-skinned, kilted Votanites down to modern xenophiles make such a fuss over architecture. Rooms shape the feelings within. Parallax crushes impressions of size. High ceilings and pointed arches hold more heaven than the sky itself. Close chambers fit cozy emotions or stifling ones. A dense nest will accommodate sweaty sex and a mushroom-assisted voyage to the outer spheres. But don't whisper to your lover in a cathedral. Don't look for Votan in a closet. Don't hope to feel any way but forlorn by a hospital bed. Sal stood by Perry's side and listened to heartbeat beeps through a cruddy speaker. This is the first time I've seen him in anything but a t-shirt, she said. The first time since we were kids. I'm sorry, Manchu said from the door. She turned from the bedside. She hadn't when she had heard him approach, only knew it was him from reflections. He could wake up any day. Yes. Or the hand might have dragged him along with it. Back out there, into the ocean? Maybe. We could open the book, and the hand would come out again. Now we have the Liebermannus in custody. We can keep it closed. Keep the world safe. That storage locker was a treasure trove. Perry and his friends collected several copies of dangerous texts. We have those, too, now. And the world's safe for the moment. That's what winning looks like. We can't fight these things at all. We can keep them out, Manchu said. But there are more all the time. More this year than last, more this century than the one before. Are all of them that bad? Not all that uh, hungry. We found a pair of wings that would let you fly if you put them on. A well that answers questions. Have you found one that brings back souls? Not yet, he said. Before you ask, you don't know what I'm going to say yet. He looked at her over the rims of his glasses. Fine, she said. Go ahead. It gets worse. You wanted to keep your brother safe. Look what happened. I'll save him. These sea monsters of yours, I want to learn their names. And you need me. Liam has the tech side down, and Grace can fight, and you know the secrets, but none of you are cops. You wouldn't be either, he said, if you join us, not in practice. You'd keep your badge, technically you'd be seconded to the Vatican. But we don't work like cops work. I've seen men and women end up like Perry. I have friends the world forgot, as if they were never born. When I was your age, I thought I could get to the bottom of all this. But there's no bottom. It just keeps going down. I'm ready for that. 
He laughed. You have no idea what you're saying. But he held out his hand, and she took it. Welcome to the team. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith. And additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.